Heavenly Father, we do want this to be true. Our circumstances change, but you don't. Your goodness never changes. And all of the brokenness in our world that we get so tired of is the result of our sin, not yours. But Lord, is there a way that we can stay consistently fruitful and vibrant no matter what's happening? I believe there is. Lead us there through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So, we're starting a new series today. I get to kick it off, which is fun. It's a series called Summer in the Psalms or Psalms of Summer. I think it's Summer in the Psalms. There it is. We're debating which which should be. Uh, Just so you know, not only do we want you to come to church every Sunday, though we know you're not. It's summer, right? So you get out of here. That's the whole point of living in the desert is to get out of here during the summer, right? So going up to uh, at least Payson, if not further away, or whatever you need to do. Each week will be a self-contained week, so you don't have to feel like, well, I missed last week, so I'm not going to come this week. No, no, come every week. Also, there's a listing of psalm readings that you can be doing. We can be doing them in community together. You can find that on the webpage, so you could be reading through psalms during the summer as well. And by the way, just it's a great season to soak in the Word of God. Just say over the summer, I'm going to read the whole New Testament. You could read the whole New Testament in about two or three hours if you just sat down and did it. But if you do it over time and say, I'm just going to get all caught up in the new, it's a great chance to not only soak in the Psalms, but soak in the Word of God, and that's going to be the, the theme of our message today. The, the message is called The Heat is On, and I had a really good analogy of this. Uh, you know, it gets hot here in the desert. You might, you might have noticed that over time. You're the faithful. You're still here. All those lightweights, they left a long time ago, so, which is nice because the line at Panera is a lot shorter and... Uh, and the freeways are uncluttered, but uh, no, we miss, we miss our friends, of course. But you're here in the heat, and you know the deal. So I have this fern out in front of my house, and it's in a pot, so I have a drip system that takes care of everything, but the fern is hand-watered, and I forgot to hand-water it just for a couple of days, and it's all brown, cracking off branches. I went, God, it just does not take long when the heat is on for things to die. You'd better stay connected to what? Water. We know here in the desert better than maybe anybody. Or Those deserts where Jesus grew up were also pretty violent and hot too, right? So when you live in the desert, you understand the value of shade. You understand the value of water. You understand that life is threatened without water. And so my poor fern lies there dead in the pot reminding me that you better stay connected. And that's the passage today. It's from Psalm chapter 1. And it's Psalm number 1. Is that important that it's number 1? I, I used to be a DJ back in the day. Can you imagine? So uh, it was uh, three, o'clock to, 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock, Monday through Friday, KGFT Radio, Santa Barbara, California. That was me. So, um, and it was a Christian radio station, and we'd play music. And so we were always excited when the new album would come in, an album. Well, For those young people who are young, an album is this pizza-shaped, kind of a black, flat, plastic thing that used to play music. So we'd get these long-playing albums in, and and what would we do? We'd pop the album open, we'd put it on the turntable, grab the stylus, and cue it up to what song? A1. Side one, cut one. Always... It's always going to be the best song because the record company knows that that's what you're going to do first. You're going to put the first psalm, the first psalm, the first song on. 
because it's number one. And that's why record companies would usually make that first song the best song on the album, because it's your first impression. So it needs to be really good. It also had the best fidelity. Did you know that, turntable people? That the songs on the outside actually sound better over time than the ones on the inside that aren't spinning around as fast? A little something that we don't have to deal with now in the digital age. But it was really important to, and, and for me, as a DJ, it was always the easiest one to cue up because it had that big gap where you could just put the needle, not those little skinny gaps between the songs. So A1, great song, powerful song. Everybody knows it's going to be the most important song on the album. Psalm 1 is cut A1 on the God's Greatest Prayer Hits album from the Old Testament. 150 songs, but Psalm A1 is really important. And throughout church history, Many famous church fathers of the faith and theologians have all said, it's not just that this is Psalm 1 just kind of randomly chosen. It's really important, and it sets the table for our entire summer in the Psalms. If we can, if we can align ourselves and calibrate Psalm 1, the other Psalms will all make more sense, and it'll be good for our ongoing vibrancy in our relationship with Christ. So you're ready? Summer in the Psalms. Here we go. Cut A1 here. Let me cue it up. And we'll get it started. Oh, it has a scratch on it. No, it doesn't. Have a, remember scratches? That was very, it had a skip on it. No, no skips. It's a pristine condition here. Starting in verse 1. It's already been read for you, but let's, uh, let's read it again. Blessed is the man. Okay, let me stop right there. So you all know that that's man and woman, right? So I don't have to keep saying man and woman all day. I'll just read it like the text says. But it's women, this is for you too, obviously. This is blessed is the human being. But the text says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. This is interesting to me. Blessed is the man who walks not. Interesting that the whole psalm, the whole book of psalms, starts by way of negation, not by way of the positive example, but immediately, it's like he sets the black backdrop so that the shiny goodness can be seen. Blessed is the man, not this, and he starts with the not. What is the not? It's interesting. Three types of bad company and three contexts where you interact with that bad company. It's very, very rich. It's easy to just kind of zip over it, stands in the way of sinners, sits to see the scoffers. Yeah, it's all bad stuff, right? No, but there's, there's a message in here for us. First of all, three types of company. Because he talks about the wicked, and then he talks about sinners, and then he talks about scoffers. So who are the wicked? The ones who have the corrupt minds. They are internally twisted and wicked. But then from there, you have corrupted actions. You have sinners. So you go from thinking about it to doing it. And then you have scoffers, who are those blatant sinners who not only sin, but are proud of it and scoff at righteousness. And then the Bible comes along and says, well, like in Romans chapter 1, God, God points to this, this same idea. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 28, the Apostle Paul is describing sinfulness amongst all of us. And he says this, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. Okay, now you're wicked. But then he says, to do what ought not to be done. Now you're sinning. You're not just thinking about it, you're doing it. 
And then he has this laundry list of sinners, including a Father's Day one in here. They're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, and foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. That's pretty bad. That's what happens when you have a depraved mind then your actions start following your mind. You go from wicked to sinner. But then in verse 32 of Romans 1, Paul says, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. They champion them. Like I am evil and I love evil. Don't you love evil? Here's a movie all about evil. Let's go watch the evil and enjoy the evil. Let's encourage one another to sin. Doesn't that sin feel good? Do it again. Let's tear down the barriers and just let sin reign. That's what happens. It goes from mind to action to that kind of a scoffing attitude where you actually scoff at unrighteousness. You don't want to be that person. But the point is you don't even want to be the first person. You don't even want it to be a matter of mind, much less action much less renegade scoffing. So how do you avoid that? Well, there's three types of interaction here too. Do you see it? It starts with, don't, blessed is a man who doesn't walk with the wicked. He's kind of walking side by side with the wicked, hanging out with the wicked, rubbing shoulders with the wicked. But then he stands with the sinner. You stop walking and now you're standing with the sinner. But then you sit with the scoffer. You see the progression? It's one thing to be kind of hanging out with people, kind of walking along, but it's another thing to stop, slow down, establish your connection, and then to actually sit at the table. And that's what happens too. We start by thinking, I'm strong enough, I can hang out with whoever I want to. The Bible says bad company corrupts good morals, not me. I'm stronger than that. The psalm says, blessed is the man who doesn't walk with the wicked, much less stand with the sinner, much less sit with the scoffer. Do you see the progression? It just goes from bad to worse and from worse to even worse. Blessed is the man who doesn't fall into that trap. But where does the trap begin? It begins at just walking with the wicked. So you're saying, well, does that mean that we're not supposed to interact at all with people who are sinners? After all, we were sinners. Somebody interacted with me, and that's why I'm saved now. I'm thankful that they interact. Of course we interact. Of course we're involved with the world. But we don't, the Apostle Paul said, we must become all things to all people that we might reach some. So we do, we we adapt in our relationships to people. But you know what we don't do? We don't become sinners to reach sinners. We don't become scoffers to reach scoffers. We don't become wicked in order to reach the wicked. There's a line of demarcation there, right? But we also love our neighbor and we pray for our enemies and we're involved with those people. But those people also need to know that we've got our markers. Not that they should have the same markers. They're lost. They don't have the wisdom of God. So of course they're going to sin. And they're probably not only going to be wicked in their mind, but they're probably going to do sins and even like them. That shouldn't surprise us. But for us, we stand in where we want to be blessed by God. And we don't let ourselves go down that path. But we love those people, we pray for those people, we interact with those people, we just don't walk with them, stand with them, sit with them in their sinfulness. 
we keep a healthy distance. Blessed is the man who doesn't do that. Again, when you say, I can handle it, God doesn't encourage you to handle it. God encourages you to be faithful to him and be appropriate in your relationships with the people around you. So that's what he doesn't do. But what does the blessed man do? In verse 2 it says, his delight, love that word, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates on it day and night. So I would have expected the verse to say, blessed is the man who doesn't get all involved with all that sinfulness, but instead he's righteous and moral. That's not what it says. It says, his heart's desire is the truth of God. It's not our performance, it's our gaze, it's our direction, it's our connection. Do you, do you love the things of God? Do you delight in his word and do you meditate on that word day and night? The idea of delighting in something. Some of you might say, well, I'm, I'm not that into the Bible, but I'm a pretty righteous guy. I'm a I'm a pretty godly lady. I just don't, I'm not into the Bible thing all that much. The great preacher uh, Charles Spurgeon said this, perhaps some of you can claim a sort of negative purity because you do not walk in the way of the ungodly, but let me ask you, is your delight in the law of God? Do you study God's word? Do you make it the man of your right hand, your best companion, an hourly guide? If not, this blessing belongs not to you. Because blessed is the one whose delight is in the word of God. Who says, ah, the word of God is better than human riches. Better than silver and gold. Sweeter than honey. I long for it. I wake up in the middle of the night and I just want to read it. I just want to meditate, think about it. The word of God, I just love it. Is that you? Well, it's, it's not me. Well, then this blessing is not for you. I want that to be me. We want that to be you too. When this church, when it's like that, when everybody is just longing for and loving the word of God and our hearts and lives are shaped by the word of God, fantastic things happen because the word of God is powerful. But if we get crusty and we start separating from that delight, we're going to find that we don't thrive. You can see the imagery as it gets unfolded here. We remember the musical Fiddler on the Roof? Okay, some of you are, some of you are I, I'm, a, I'm an old, I'm Broadway show geek, so I love the old shows, and I love that scene in Fiddler on the Roof. The main character's name is Tevia, and he's kind of poor, and he does this whole song where he said, you know, you know what song it is? If I, <clears throat> if I were a rich man, and he just, the whole song is him dreaming, oh, what would it be like to be rich? And he starts by saying, I'd have this huge house with a big staircase going up and an even bigger one going down, which doesn't make any sense at all. And then one staircase that goes no place, just for show. And then I'd have a whole yard full of animals. Not what I would pick, but that's what his heart's desire was. And then he goes, and my wife would have a proper double chin, like fat rich ladies are supposed to have. That's my dream. But then he gets to the very end of the dream, and he says this, and I love this so much. He says, if I were rich, I'd have the time that I like to sit in the synagogue and pray and maybe have a seat by the eastern wall, and I'd discuss the holy books with the learned men seven hours every day, and that would be the sweetest thing of all. Oi. 
Can you relate? You have a heart like that? Oh, if only I were rich because then I could buy, is that how your sentence goes? I could buy this or I could move there or I could have houses here or there or these kind of vehicles or eat at these kind of places or dress in these kind of clothes. Or do you say, oh, if I was rich, I could just soak in the word of God all day long. That is delighting in the word. I bet there's hardly anybody in this room who would go, I'm totally with Tevia. Seven hours a day would love it but there's an appetite that can be developed amongst us. And it's one of those things that once you start getting into the word of God, realizing how powerful it is, how rich it is, then you start loving it more and more and your appetite grows. Just like when I first learned to eat strawberries as a kid. They looked creepy to me and they had all those seeds all on the outside and ah, 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 oh, that's good. Oh, that's really good. And then now nah, eat strawberries all the time. Same thing with the word of God, it grows, it grows. I want to say something to you local shepherd folk when it comes to the issue of schooling our kids as it relates to this delight in the word of God and walking not in the way of the scoffer but meditating on the word of God day and night. When it comes to raising our kids, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to touch on some dangerous ground here so but again, I'm leaving so I can talk about these things. If we believe this scripture, and if we have any inclination that in our secular school systems there is scoffing going on at the truth of God, scoffing about God, I'm not sure that we want our kids sitting at the table with the scoffers in the name of their education. If delighting in the word of God and meditating on it day and night is where the blessing comes from, it would be great if our kids were in a context where they could meditate on the word of God and be encouraged to delight in it and be thinking about it, not just a 15-minute chapel time, but throughout the course of the day to love God and to love his word. Our kids may need better than secular school systems. Now, what I'm not saying is that Shepherd of the Desert, therefore, should fire up a school again. But... Shepherd of the Desert, like any church, especially in the 20th century in secular America, needs to look at Psalm 1 and then look at our kids and go, what are we going to do? We've got to raise them well. We've got to raise them in the fullness of the truth. And perhaps we need to think creatively about how we're going to do that. So at Shepherd of the Desert, you might say, well, let's start a school again. Or you might say, let's not start a school again, but let's creatively think about connecting our kids to appropriate educational venues that are going to be a blessing to them. One way or another, the heart of it is is that we want to love the Word of God. Here's what I'm afraid is going to happen. There's some of you who are saying, the delivery system has to be a school here, K through 8, now. And some of you are saying, I, we dare not get back in the school business again. It almost bankrupted this place. And so whichever decision is going to be made in the next couple of months or years, half of you are going to be really mad at and half of you are going to love, but there's going to be friction. And I'm just, before I leave, can I just say, don't do that. Don't get all mad. It's the heart of it. We can pursue the heart of it whether you have a school or not. Maybe you do have a school. Maybe it's the right thing to do. Maybe it's a good delivery system for this principle. Let's soak in the principle and come up with the best decision. And if you don't like the conclusion of the delivery system, ah, who cares? Who made you pope? You're not right all the time. So you might be wrong, and we're going to try this instead. But either side of the aisle on this issue, we're going to love the word. 
and do what we can for our kids. What's the final outcome going to be? I don't know. I don't know. Don't worry about the delivery system, but keep the heart. Can you do that? Can you promise me? Don't make me come back down here and <laughs> turn you over my knee because you're bickering and arguing over some sort of delivery system that you prefer. We'll do the best. Everyone here wants to do the best we can. We'll figure it out. But the heart of it is cool. The heart of it is delighting in the Word of God. And we can do that no matter if there's an official school on this campus or not, whether or not we insist that all of you adults be in Sunday school or be in a Bible class. Our kids need it. No, you need it. We all need it. We need to be soaking in the Word in whatever the best possible uh, means are to do that. So um, let's take a look at the one who is meditating on the word. We're in verse three. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. By the way, this is a well-worn point of reference for God in the scriptures. Ever since the very beginning of the book of Genesis, God hovers over the face of the water. God creates rivers. There's a big flood that's part of the judgment of the whole world. Water's uh, in the sea. Water's in canopies, canopies suspended over the skies. Water from the rock under Moses' leadership. A water that pours out from the temple and brings life to the world in the book of Ezekiel. All through the Old Testament, there's this idea that you want life, water's connected to life. So it's a big theme. Uh, and then Jesus picks it up. He takes the six big jugs of water and turns it into holy wine. Even Jesus on the cross, when he says that simple phrase, I thirst, enters into the fullness of our human condition. I thirst just like you do. We're all in desperate need of the water that can give us life. And in our text today, our, our, New Test our uh, uh, gospel reading was Jesus saying, springs of water can gurgle up from inside of you and provide the life that you need. And he's talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus picks up that theme as well. But not only there's the water theme, but then there's also the, so we have a stream of water and a tree planted by it. There's this whole idea of things that grow and bud and bear fruit. It's all through the scripture. So from the very beginning, Adam and Eve, it's very interesting, Adam and Eve were in the garden, and the first thing God did was, said, tend the garden. So Adam and Eve are involved in, in uh, it's like a home improvement show. Adam and Eve's garden. Can you imagine? Garden of Eden on TV. I'd love to see it. Wow, I wonder what it looked like. Before there was death and scorching and all that stuff. So they're tending the garden, and they're a part of this living organism process from the very beginning of their, of their existence. But then, how did they sin? Oh, they ate one of those living things. They pulled it off one of those living trees, and they ate it, and now your, 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 your sin is gonna cause some curses. And what are the curses? Well, Adam, your curse is the ground, is, it's gonna be harder for stuff to grow. The curse is connected to this whole watering and growing thing too. What about the, the woman? Can't be a little delicate here, but the woman, her issue was seeds being sown and growth coming from within her, pregnancy. So even, even a pregnant human being has to do with fertilization of seeds and growth into something new. Same with all of, all of created order is like this. And so God created us to be a part of it, to tend it, and then when sin hit, that became a wrestle, became a struggle for all of us. And now a psalm like this comes along and says, you understand, don't you, human beings? 
you understand what the need is, you understand what healthy living is, it has to do with being the right plant next to the right resources so that it can thrive and develop. And so our whole spiritual life is thrown into the context of seeds being sown and then being, being uh, germinated and then being fruitful. So we see it in Adam and Eve. And then Jesus picks this up, right? Parable of the sower. Sower sows seeds. Some of it grows. And that's obviously the good news is when it grows into something fruitful. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, tiny seed that grows into something big. Uh, When he cursed that fig tree, remember that story where he's walking along, he sees a fig tree. It has no fruit, so he curses the tree because you should be fruitful. Trees are meant to be fruitful. And he, he takes the whole gospel enterprise and says, you know what it's like? It's like a harvest. I'm growing things out there. You just need to go pick the fruit of what my Holy Spirit is doing in the world. So all of life is thrown into this context, this Psalm 1 context of growing things next to the flow of water, which, by the way, our sacraments are perfectly in line with those things. We have the flowing water of baptism that brings new life to the seed of the Holy Spirit inside of us. And then whenever we celebrate the Lord's table, we are celebrating the the germination of seeds into something. So we have the fruit of the vine, and we celebrate the blood of Jesus through that. And we have the fruit of the, the wheat and the bread that's brought together and becomes for us the bread of Christ We can't escape it, biblically speaking, and we shouldn't escape it. We live in a world of processed foods, so we go to Safeway and we see a bunch of containers, and we forget the fact that everything is coming from growth and life, and we like life. We don't like death. We pray for things on Sunday. We pray for what? Death feels like it's creeping in. There's pain. There's hurt. There's problems. God, can we have life again, please? We love life, and this picture of life of the soul points us to this idea that you, like a tree, need to always be connected to that water to live well. Because you want to be living well. So always stay connected. The Bible talks about this all the time, too, saying that uh, Psalm 52 says, I am a green olive tree in the courts of God. I just want to be planted in the presence of God. Revelation 3, where it says, those who conquer will become pillars in the temple of God eternally never leaving. And you go, wow, never leaving? That sounds like prison. No, you're in the presence of God forever. This idea of strong structural permanency next to the source of life, it's our dream. It's eternity. It's eternal goodness. And so he or she is like a tree planted, planted by streams of water that yield fruit in season and the leaves don't wither everything that they do prospers. We want that to be a picture of us. By the way, the leaf doesn't wither. Remember when I was a young homeowner trying to buy some shrubs for my house, I didn't know the difference between a perennial and an annual. You guys know the difference? (laughs) I learned. Took me about a year to learn. Uh, If you plant plant an annual, it lasts a year, but a perennial lives all the time. Perennials usually stay green throughout the year. Some perennials bloom in the spring. So the fruit is temporary, but the leafy greenness stays all the time. And so that's the picture here. You're going to be leafy. You're going to be healthy. If you're by the water, you are planted and you will stay healthy, but it doesn't mean you're blooming all the time. It doesn't mean you're bearing the huge fruit all the time. Sometimes there are seasons of 
less fruit, but then there are seasons where you are bursting forth with all kinds of fruit. So it yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf doesn't wither. We just sang a song about this. It is well with my soul, though peace like a river attendeth my way, though sorrows by sea billows roll. No matter what's going on, I'm still good because I'm sunk deep into the truth of God. So the Apostle Paul is a great example of this. Were his circumstances always good? <laughs> no. Paul had, Paul had great days where he's preaching to large crowds, people coming to Christ. People are saying, the gods have come to us. And Paul and Barnabas, wow, they're treating me like a god. This is fantastic. The gospel's going out. But then the next chapter, he's in prison. People are throwing rocks at him. He's being flogged. He's in a shipwreck. I mean, all kinds of terrible things are happening to Paul. But Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, but I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So uh, if it's true, Charles Spurgeon said this too, the trials of the saint are a divine husbandry by which he grows and brings forth abundant fruit. So no matter the circumstances, we stay green because we're connected to God. That's the main point. Yeah, but it doesn't seem like a fruitful season right now. Are you green? Are you healthy? It's just the season. The fruit will come in its time. But stay connected to the water. Stay healthy. Or else you'll start looking like the, the guys on the other side. And that's verse number four. The wicked are not like the righteous. They are not so. But are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The wicked are like chaff. What's chaff? I'll tell you, one thing chaff is, it's not fruitful. It's not bearing fruit, right? Because it's disconnected from water or for the, from the rest of the healthy plant. And quite frankly, it's dead. Chaff is dead. It says that's the wicked. They're disconnected from God, which means they're not going to bear fruit. They're not going to live. They're just, they're going to, it's... John the Baptist said, it's good for nothing more than just to be thrown into the fire. That's what chaff is. The wicked are like chaff. What's the difference between wicked and right? What's the difference between bad and being really good, having the fullness of life? It's being connected to the water. But what is the water in this passage? Blessed is the man who loves the word of God. That's his delight. Like a tree delights in water, like all of us delight in being healthy, so we delight in the word of God. We don't become like the chaff. Verse 6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And here's where I get a little nervous. God, am I, am I righteous or am I wicked? You know the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked is going to perish. But God, I, I can, even at the beginning of this service, I confess my sin to you. Am I wicked or am I righteous? I feel like I'm wicked. But in Christ, what are we? We are righteous. And this is the point of the whole psalm, in case you didn't know it was coming. Here's the surprise ending. The man in Psalm 1 is who? It's Christ. 
St. Jerome said it. St. Augustine said it. Biblical, Bible scholars through the years have said, Psalm 1 is not so much a picture of how good we are because we're connected to the water. Psalm 1 is a picture of the Christ. He was the one who was planted, connected. All he did was the will of the Father. He bore incredible fruit. In season, yes, he had the crowds. Out of season, he had the crucifixion. He was brought low, but he fulfilled the fullness of what God had for him because he was so connected to the Father. I and the Father are one. He is in me. I am in him. I do nothing but what the Father says, and that is righteous. And then Jesus comes along and says, because of my crucifixion and my resurrection, that righteousness that is me is now implanted in you like a seed. And now righteousness like mine can grow in you because blessed is the man, the son of man, Jesus. And now the son of man. That's why it's so important that in John 14, 15, 16, he kept saying this, abide in me and I in you. I am living in you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. The whole coming of the Holy Spirit, the Trinity of Father, yes, but the Son and the giving of the Spirit. You are baptized, you receive that Spirit, and now you have the Psalm 1 Jesus living in your heart, which allows you to become a Psalm 1 woman or a Psalm 1 man because of Christ in you, the Christ who did everything that he needed to do in order to fulfill a righteous life now that he is blessed, now you can be too. I should tell you about my fern. Is is just looking just totally dead. But what do you do? Give it a try, I guess. I'll water it again. I water it, I come out, look, it's brown. Next day, it's brown. Next day, one little green guy. Ooh. Now, it's full fern again. Like in about a week and a half, I thought it was dead. But it had life in there. It was tucked in there. It just needed the water. So folks, just as we go, just there are people all over Scottsdale, there are people in your lives who are just like my dead fern. They're just waiting for some water. They're waiting for the truth. And when the truth hits them, they're going to grow into something that you didn't see coming. God, they just look dead. They look disinterested. No one, they're not going to listen to me. They look dead. But there might be seedlings in there. That's not, you don't even know. What you do know is I've been called to sow and I've been called to water. So I'm going to pour word. I'm just going to pour word and see what happens. But you are God's watering can to Scottsdale. They're not going to get the water that they need except through the church sharing the water. So that's the world out there. But your own life, where are you on the fern scale? Are you dry and brittle and brown? Because you just haven't had the word of God. I guarantee you by the truth of the scripture, if you pour word of God into your pot, into your life, there's greenery in you and there's fruitfulness in you that you maybe haven't experienced yet. Really? Yes, really. Not maybe, really, by promise of the word of God. You know, maybe I should get into the word a little more. Duh. (laughs) Of course. If you look at Jesus and go, I love him, he wants to emerge in you through soaking in the word of God. Don't you want that? Don't you, is there anything else you want more than that? Now are you Tevia? Seven hours, Lord. I want it all. Lord, please, don't let me live what looks like a dying life. 
Help me to flourish in my life. Heavenly Father, we want this so much. And we're thankful again, God, that you, you could have just left us dead. We were chaff. All of us in this room were chaff. We were disconnected from you because of our sin. We were dying and fruitless. But you, God, have, through your word, grafted us back into the living plant, which is your church. And now, God, you moisten us with that truth, and we become something fabulous. God, sometimes we choose to disconnect ourselves, and that is really foolish on our part. We pray for forgiveness. But increasingly, Lord, can we be found with our roots sunk deep into the word of God, your Holy Spirit filling us and bearing fruit, not only the fruit, God, that, of our lives being nice, but the fruit of the gospel going out in the world. We want to see other people live and not stay chaff. Thank you for this psalm. It's given us a good start as we head into the summer. We pray that this summer would be a rich one for us spiritually as we soak in the word, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.